0: Love Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Leading Edge Love Radio. This is your host, Sumati Sparks, the Open Relationship Coach at SumatiSparks.com. And today I'm really excited to have as my guest a longtime friend of mine named Fred Burks. Fred has been living an expanded relationship style for his entire adult life. He's now a spiritual activist, a Tantra teacher, founder of a sacred sexuality group, and a thought leader. Welcome to the show, Fred.
1: Hey, Sumati, and hey to all of our leaders. Great to be here with you.
0: Great. So um, I love all the different things that you're involved in, Fred, but why don't we start with talking about how you became interested in non-monogamy?
1: Sure. It actually... um it's kind of a funny story is back when I was uh, 18, 19 years old, I was hanging around with a wonderful group of people that were – I just had a, a great time, great connection with them. And there was like five different women that I was connected with uh, to the point where we'd even do massage exchanges and stuff like that, but we weren't dating. Uh, we were just like connecting, sharing, and doing massages. And then one day one of them said, hey, you know, I really want to start dating you, Fred. And I was like, wow, oh my goodness, but if I start dating her, then I can't, you know, be with these other women. And in that moment, I realized I I couldn't do it. I couldn't just be with one person. And so actually from age 19, I became very clear that, um, you know, I I like to be able to connect with um, more than one person. I'm not, I don't see myself as being exclusive.
0: And so at that time, did you know that there was such a thing as, polyamory or non-monogamy
1: oh i'd never heard of the term polyamory but i had heard of open relationships which would of course be non-monogamy uh-huh. and so yeah i considered myself uh-huh. and what i would tell uh-huh. people and women after that is that i'm i'm into open relationships although currently i prefer the term expanded relationships because it just has a nicer feel to it
0: i love that phrase that's great um and so did you find some books and kind of learn about or how, who were your mentors at that at that time? Because um, that must have been, what, in the 80s?
1: Let's see. That would have been 77 when I was 19. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the interesting thing is I actually didn't have intercourse until I was almost 28 for, for a variety mm-hmm. of reasons. So I did, got started, you know, I had relationships, but I was very cautious around going too deep into sexuality. Um, and so I didn't really study or get into that whole lifestyle until I went to my uh, first ch- uh, workshop with Charles and Caroline Muir, who, of course, are, are very well-known Tantra teachers, and that was in 1996, and that, that was a big turning point for me.
0: Mm-hmm. And so making a decision to live an alternative relationship lifestyle at such a young age, were there... Um, ripples that ran through your family or other friends? Did you have any effect on the people that were, you were close to in your life at that time?
1: Well, you know, i people have always considered me as somewhat weird and I totally embrace that that <laughs> I have, you know, that I, I don't fit into a box and I like that. I don't fit into a box. And so, you know, when I tell this to people, they kind of like turn their head and go, what? Okay. I guess that's you. So I haven't been like ostracized or had any serious problems with it, you know, my parents, of course, my dad particularly don't like it, but you know, they don't complain about it either. They let me be who I am. So I'm very thankful to have friends and community that support me in my lifestyle. Mhm.
0: And then when did you finally start to have, you know, full sexual relationships with more than one person when you were in your late 20s?
1: Yeah, when I first, well, Like I said, back then I was even doing massage on multiple people, um, even guys occasionally too. But uh, yeah, I didn't start getting fully sexual until I was like 28. And the thing is, I am somebody who tends to keep myself very busy. I'm very passionate about different things in life. And so I don't have time for a lot of relationships So that though I've, you know, I've had some, what I call, I call them time intensive relationships. um, I don't often have multiple lovers, but you know, I do at times, it's not something that I look for, but if it's there, great. And I did have them from early on from, you know, probably, yeah, when I was around 28, I had a couple multiple lovers, but uh, I think only a couple times in my life have I had multiple sort of time intensive relationships. And, it, again, it's largely just because I keep myself so busy.
0: Right, right, right. And so how did you're getting involved with Tantra, with the Muirs, and sacred sexuality, how did that inform your non-monogamy?
1: Well, basically, I became, you know, going to that workshop really showed me that, wow, there's all these people who are interested in this um, deep sexual connection and sex connection from the heart and playing with Kundalini energy. And so, um, I started, you know, checking out more things and then just a couple of years late, well actually I then started doing sessions that this woman and I had an amazing connection and we actually started doing sessions where we helped people to, uh, do sexual healing. And, uh, it was great. We did it volunteer at first, but people really loved it and they actually started paying us for it. So that, that was really cool. Mm then a couple years later, I went to um, a workshop put on by Taj Anapol, Deborah Anapol at uh, Harbin in 1998. And there I met a bunch of really cool creative people. And that's where we ended up forming. um, A few of us came together and formed this group called uh, Sacred Connections, which has been going now for over 20 years and is still going strong, which is all about sort of sacred sexuality. And um, almost everybody there is into some form of expanded relationships. So it's a rich community mm-hmm. that really nurtured me and helped me to basically work through all of the sexual issues that I had in my life so that I now feel really open and comfortable with my sexuality, which is, which is a real gift. Hmm.
0: So just for those who aren't familiar with Tantra, just want to be clear that Tantra is not the same thing as open relationship. There are a lot of monogamous Absolutely. couples who learn Tantra and use Tantra to enhance their connection and their spiritual growth. Um, They really are two separate things, but they do kind of fall under the larger sex-positive umbrella. So a lot of people that I've interviewed have been Tantra practitioners um, or teachers. Um, So it sounds like you've eventually evolved to being a Tantra teacher yourself. How did that happen?
1: Well, that happened when uh, you know I actually you know was one of the two main people that got this whole community sacred connections going, and so uh, we started leading groups and this woman and I were the main ones who would lead a whole bunch of exercises and getting people to open their hearts and to really start playing with the the Kundalini energy, which is sort of the sacred sexual energy that resides in the base of the spine and that you can rise up and that can really cause extended, expanded states of consciousness and amazing, beautiful connections with uh, the people that you're connecting with.
0: Mm-hmm. Beautiful. So you've been leading, you were leading those, uh, the Sacred Connection gatherings um, for, especially in the beginning, huh?
1: Yeah. And, and yeah, for, for about three or four years, uh, this, this woman, Liza, and I were the main leaders of the group. Um, but then we both agreed that once we step down, then th- th- we know that the, the community will be successful. So we did step down after three or four years in the community. As I said, it's continued strong. But I've gone on to teach um, and lead a lot of different workshops and even uh, teach and co-teach workshops um, throughout the years.
0: Hmm. Okay, cool. So what excites you the most or what do you love the most about Expanded Relationships?
1: Well, I guess for me, uh, first I'd have to say that I was born with very little jealousy. You know, I do get jealous, but when I do, it's like, oh, look at that. I'm, I'm jealous. Isn't that interesting? And then I can just let it go. And so you find the people who have the easiest times with expanded relationships are those who are able to handle jealousy well. And it's really exciting when I have a partner who doesn't experience much jealousy and we go together to some gathering And sometimes we'll see somebody who's feeling like, wow, that person really needs some attention and we'll go together and and just sort of yum them up. Sometimes we'll we'll hug them from both sides and we'll start running some um, tantric energy. And it's amazing to watch how people just light up when they get that kind of attention and love. And there is a sexual energy there, but it's not like we're coming on to the person. It's like we're giving them attention and healing and showing them that, you know, you can, you can use this energy and, so I get very excited when I have a partner who uh, loves likes to do that kind of thing, and not all of my partners yeah. are into that. But uh, I have um, some of my favorite relationships have been that way.
0: Mm. Well, that just reminded me, and I hope uh, this isn't too touchy of a subject, but we lost a dear friend named Brian years ago, and it reminded me of when you and Brian used to work together to um, give women an experience. Can you talk about that a little bit?
1: Oh, sure. Brian was such an amazing um, person. He was my best buddy um, and just a great guy. He just was a total heart-centered connecting person who just loved connecting with everybody. And uh, he was also a gorgeous musician and and a very good um, Dhaka, you know, Tantra uh, person himself. And so he and I loved, occasionally, we worked together with a woman who wanted to experience what's what it's like to be with two men. And Brian and I really loved each other, and we're both somewhat bisexual, so that just made it all the more special. And we had many, many, just very special experiences, including with um, some of his girlfriends and my girlfriends, but lots of other people in communities wherein um, women just loved to have that kind of attention from two guys who weren't out to get anything. We just love playing and helping people to open up to these uh, experiences.
0: It was kind of like an offering, like the Fred and Brian experience. It was like get an e-ticket and get in line.
1: <laughs> well, it, I'll, I'll share one one really fun. T- I think this may be one of the times that really we said we've got to start doing this more is uh, actually another dear friend of ours, I'm going to guess it was about 15 years ago, passed away. And so we were, and she was an amazing woman, had an amazing death, most amazing death I've seen. It was, she was just, it was just so conscious and beautiful. So she wanted didn't want a memorial. She wanted a celebration, a full-on celebration of her life, which happened a few months later. So Brian and I went to this um, celebration, and there was a woman there that he knew, and I was just meeting. He didn't know her well, but um, – We got into a conversation with her, the two of us, and she was just saying how she's feeling down and kind of like, you know, really having a hard time because she hasn't had a relationship and blah, blah, blah. And Brian and I kind of looked at each other and he said, we all said, you know, kind of nodded. It's like, well, would you like an experience with us? And she kind of (laughs) looked and smiled. She'd always been somewhat attracted to Brian and she was feeling a good energy with me. So long story short, she had this van. And Lucia was also into expanded relations. The woman who died was a wonderful one. We knew she was smiling and probably even arranging this. And so we ended mm. up in the back of her van having this amazing connection that was just so <laughs> wonderful. And and to this day, I'm I'm still friends with her. And uh, it was just a magical thing. And we, we just loved creating magic in that way. And she was just so happy and thankful to, to have that experience. Mm,
0: that's beautiful. Thank you for sharing about that. So sure. you talked about how um, you just kind of naturally have very little jealousy. Um, so do you think that? And I have I have met people like that too, who um, I've had lovers who just end pair and uh, metamors who mm-hmm. just don't feel that jealous. Um, whereas I have always been very jealous, and I still am jealous even after mm-hmm. almost 20 years of practicing open relationship. I've just learned mm-hmm. to not make it mean anything, and it doesn't mean that the other person has to change anything about their behavior. It's just a feeling that I work with myself and use it to transform how I'm feeling inside to something greater and larger and expansive. Um, so mm-hmm. do you think that um, that here's a, here's kind of a philosophical question for you. Do you think that people are wired to be non-monogamous um, and that some people can kind of learn it if they want to. Do you think it's kind of like being gay where you're just kind of that way? Or do you think people can make a choice to um, practice non-monogamy?
1: Well, I, I'm sure you may know, Sumati, that in, in the poly- polyamorous community, there's a number of people who say that there's two species of humans, and one is the polyamorous and the other is monogamous, and it's really best not to mix the two when you come to sexual relationships. I, I don't see it as that cut and dry. I do think there are people like myself and others that I don't know if you put yourself here that I was born naturally. It's like I love connecting with everybody, and I don't see a big line between sexuality and sensuality. So it just seems natural to me, and I don't experience much jealousy. And But that's rare. It's not often that you meet people like they said, I have many friends who are into expanded relationships who have a lot of jealousy. My current main girlfriend gets jealous, um, you know, not seriously, but it's, you know, we have to deal with it. And I support her in expressing it and moving through it. But I think it is, you know, basically a lot of people don't know whether they're going to work with uh, expanded relationships or not until they try it. But it seems like for some people it works more easily than others, and for some people they're just not wired that way, as you would say, and it's just not going to work for them. So mm-hmm. it's, but it's hard, it's hard to tell when you just meet somebody right off.
0: Right, exactly. So what do you find are some of the most challenging things about expanded relationships?
1: Uh, well, I can just share personally that I have a tendency, um, as did my old buddy Brian, to attract women who are, they say they're interested in polyamory, but then once they start connecting, it's like, no, I really want to be monogamous with you. And so mm-hmm. that tends to be a, a thread through through almost all of my major relationships. Um, it, it's been a pain because... I really do love, you know, like I said, having somebody who can join me and, and do this. And when somebody then decides they want to be monogamous with me, I'm, I'm just not wired that way, as you would say. I'm, I'm not completely closed. Who knows? I might someday meet somebody and say, oh, I really want to be monogamous with this person. But I'd be surprised if that happens. It hasn't happened so far. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. That's, that's challenging for me. And I guess the thing that about expanded relationships is it really requires a high level of transparency And I I find it really works best if uh, if you just are willing to be vulnerable and transparent about everything that's happening. And I basically demand that of my partners. I I won't go into a relationship with somebody who's not able to be vulnerable with me and share on a a deep level. That seems to make all of the challenges that come up uh, more easy to uh, manage. In fact, my my current... um, Sweetie Angela it's a wonderful woman. The woman I spend the most time with. Um, She's, she's just a master that when things come up with us, we'll, we'll get into a challenging situation and and maybe we need to, to vent some and let some emotions out, but we never forget that we really love each other. We never forget that. And so that we're always able um, before too long, generally to come back to a place of, okay, um, we, we have this issue and we love each other. So what are we going to do? And, It's just a joy to be able to know that when you're dealing with challenges and when people get triggered.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think having emotional intelligence is probably one of the most important things, even more so than whether someone gets jealous or not, Um, because we have all kinds of feelings. But if we can talk about them and share about them and listen to someone else without getting triggered, that seems to be the key. Mm
1: -hmm. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, and, and have compassion for each other. Uh, you know, there's there are people who use polyamory as kind of an excuse to just want to have freedom. I, you know, I've seen a number of people who are relatively new, let's say, to the polyamorous world, and they're basically trying to force their lover into letting them have other lovers. And then what happens is then when their lover finds another lover, they get all jealous and they go, wait a minute. So um, that generally is not a very sort of conscious way of doing the relationship. And I try to counsel people to be careful, you know, it's like if you're going to choose this lifestyle, you have to also choose to have a high level of integrity if you really want it to work.
0: Right. Yeah. One of my current sweeties has had a, a pattern in the past of attracting women who say they want to be open. Um, and then they have like a, threesome with another woman and then as soon as he goes and dates someone else without her, then she's like no, 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 no. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, how w- What what would you recommend for and I know you've been through this, so have you, have you gained any wisdom or recommendations for other people about what to do when that happens to you, when somebody says that they want to be open, but then once you're invested and involved, they change their mind. Um, so, do you just only date people who have, you know, two years of experience on their resume or or do you just deal with it when it comes up? What kind of advice do you have to give around that?
1: Well, I think each person has to find their own way, but I can just share my own personal experience And that I have just found that I have to be, I'm just very clear from the beginning. In fact, I won't even do like a real serious kiss with a woman without telling her first that I'm really into expanded relationships, have been my whole life. I'm not likely going to change. And you need to really understand that. And that turns off a lot of women. And that's okay because, you know, I'm not looking for women who aren't okay okay with that. Or men. I'm open to men too. But um, yeah, so I think... The key thing is then when it comes up, which it often has, um, I just hold my ground. I say, look, you've known this about me. This is how I am, and I'm willing to hold space for your frustration, for your trigger, but this is who I am, and I ask you to honor that. And I've got better and better at just holding my center and saying, this is who I am. You've known this, and um, please don't ask me to change. Because Mm -hmm. I think um, a lot of men and people in general have a tendency to want to overly please their partner just to keep the calm. And I'm willing to walk through the fire just for the purpose of being real and honest and authentic. You know, I don't want to compromise myself and I don't want my partner to com- compromise either. And I find, you know, my, in the last 10 or 15 years of doing this, it's actually worked really well. And my sweeties have not tried to pressure me. They say, I know you're probably," and I'm still having these feelings. And so it just makes it a lot easier to, to deal with it.
0: Right, so it sounds like you've grown a lot around just being who you are, and I think we all can learn how to do that more because so many of us get very codependent in relationships and we kind of give up who we really are because we're afraid of abandonment or whatever. Um, yeah, so what other what other lessons have you learned from expanded relationships?
1: Um. I guess the thing that I love is just the the richness of being totally real and authentic. I'm I'm someone who's dedicated to personal growth and even exploring spiritual realms. And so I'm I'm not somebody who's going and looking just, to, you know, to have you know, a good sexual connection and juicy sexual connection. Now, you know, I'm not opposed to that happening occasionally, but it's not what I'm looking for. I, I like being with people who want to go deep and exploring, you know, who are you and who am I and how can we dance together in a way that really feeds each other. And I particularly love community. I'm involved in several communities where we have all sorts of uh, fun activities together. So I'd like to have a partner and partners who go to these activities with me and help to sort of, um, juice and deepen the energy of the entire community and that to me is just brings such great joy so the the one of the great things i love is that the people involved in this relationship style tend to be pretty cool pretty unique and amazing people so i love connecting with them um, i personally also if i have a lover i love setting my lover up with great people it's like oh i want you to meet this great person and uh you know and if, if if that person is really clear and conscious, I have no problem with them being with my lovers. It it, it makes me happy. And uh, Some of your listeners may not know the term compersion, which is basically the opposite of jealousy. Compersion is when you see your lover being sexual with somebody else and it makes you excited and happy. Like, wow, that's so great. That's so awesome. And I have to say quite honestly, some right. of my uh, sweeties have not been happy about that. They wish I would get jealous which is kind of sad, but other times they're happy
0: about it. <laughs> yeah. In a lot of cultures, jealousy proves that you love someone. So it's really like twisting yeah. that myth on its head, isn't it?
1: Yes. In fact, the woman I was with the longest, who I'm still one of my closest friends, I was with her for seven years. Um, she she was just very clear. I like getting jealous. I don't want to change my jealousy. And, and she eventually <laughs> you know got married and has kids and is in a monogamous relationship and and I love her. We're, we're great friends, but she's like, yes, this I choose monogamy and I want to be jealous. Now, you know, thankfully she did not yeah. pressure me and we had a great connection, but it was hard for her sometimes when I'd be connecting with other people, but she also connected with other people too. So it was, it was a great relationship. Right.
0: So have, can you, um, I don't know if you can explain it since you're just sort of that way naturally, but why do you think, Do you have any thoughts about why you don't feel any jealousy and why it's so natural for you to feel happy when your lover connects with someone else? Is there any part of you that's afraid that they may not come back to you again?
1: Well, I think that's a great question and one that I've really looked at. Why is it that I don't have this much? And I think it has to do that. I have from the time I was a kid, I have very high self-esteem sometimes too high. In fact, my, chief (laughs) challenge in life is, is arrogance sometimes i think i'm better than everybody else and i've been working on that so i you know i've done a lot of work and i don't come across as arrogant but there's a part of me that wants to believe i'm better than everybody else and because i have a very high concept i feel incredibly abundant in my life and i know that i can attract wonderful people so even though i would be very sad um to lose and I'm sad when I lose a lover I know that there's a huge abundance out there and I know that I'm a good person and I can attract great people So, and I'm also really good at staying friends with my old lovers so that just makes it very rich and I think the more you really get that you love yourself you're full and complete in yourself and I'm actually fine when I'm not in relationship I actually enjoy having periods where I'm not in relationship with anybody if you have that then Your tendency to be jealous is much less because you're already fulfilled inside of yourself. This is my own personal theory based on exploring this for years.
0: Mm -hmm. Yes, no, I totally agree with you. And that's one of the things I recommend to my clients is that they spend time meditating or going off on solo retreats. So that they are feeling like really getting in touch with who they really are and tapping into that universal love so they're not needing someone else to validate them. It's very important.
1: Right. Yes. And it's not an easy thing to do. You know, it usually has to do with our upbringing. You know, I I was lucky to have a a mother who truly loved me unconditionally and just wanted me to be who I was. And that allowed me to more easily develop a high level of self-esteem. Whereas, you know, many people have had really challenging upbringings. And if you've gotten messages from the time you're young that, you know, you're no good or you're not good enough or whatever it is, it's it's hard to change those patterns. But they can be changed. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I think if you can really look at that and, and work on those issues, it can have a lot of benefits.
0: Yeah, I agree. I'm proof that it can be changed because I was an insanely jealous young woman. <laughs> mm. Mm-hmm. I was wow. so insecure. So I know, I know it can be changed. It, yeah, that's um, Yeah. In case you're just joining us, you're listening to Leading Edge Love Radio. This is your host Sumati Sparks, the Open Relationship Coach at sumatisparks.com, and we're speaking with Fred Burks, who has spent most of his adult life in expanded relationships. He is a very busy guy and he just recently got back from Portugal where he visited the Tamara community. I'm very interested in community and you started a community here, so I'm assuming you're also really, I think most of us who are into open relationships rely on community because we're stepping outside the box of the ordinary paradigm and we need lots of role models and lots of support to live this kind of lifestyle. So I think community is an integral part of of living in a a non-monogamous lifestyle. So I want to Mm -hmm. hear more about your visit to Tamara in Portugal. Can you tell us about that community? First of all, just kind of a little bit of a background about it and why you went there.
1: Sure. Um, I've heard about Tamara for quite a while because they're known as being one of the very few intentional communities that, One of their key purposes is to explore breaking out of the old sexual paradigm, and there, and this is in Europe, um, they, they use the term free sex, and they say, you know, sex is this beautiful gift that we are given, and why do we have to, like, be so hidden and closed and all messed up about it? So this community, um, which it's, it's been, Tamara has been there for 22 years, but it grew out of another similar community in Germany called zeg, ZEGG, Z-E-G-G, uh, which started 40 years ago. So it's been a 40-year experiment of developing this relationship style. And they are doing all sorts of experiments, like how can we be honest and real and vulnerable? How can we honor jealousy when it arises? How, how can we experiment with these relationships And you've got now 170 full members living there. And some of them are third generation. They have like 30 kids that live there and go to school there. And I have to say, I I visit a lot of communities. I really enjoy community. I've visited, I don't know, probably four or five dozen different communities in the United States and overseas. And this is one of the most thriving communities that I've ever seen. The people there Mm. are, there's a lot of young people. The average age is probably under 40. Um, They're energy is just so beautiful and they're even kind of sexy and they don't hide their sexiness, but they're not like inappropriate, like, you know, Hey, let's fuck, you know, or something like that. So it's just <laughs> really very um, impressive. And I had, did have some deep talks about what they, what they're doing there. And I, one thing that was uh, kind of a really um, eye opener for me is I noticed um, that their sexuality tends to not be so what I would call intimate where, you know, in the United States, particularly in California, where you and I live, Sumatib, there's a lot more hugging and eye connecting and stuff like that. And I didn't see as much of, of that going on. And it's kind of like people there was like, you know, well, let's, let's go have sex in you know, 15 minutes and it's over. And so I got into a talk with somebody about that. And there's two pieces to that. First, is you have to understand that Tamara grew out of this community in Germany and well over half the, the members of Tamara are German. And so the Germans tend to be much more sort of let's get down to it than, than the average person, particularly an American. So that's one aspect of it. But when I talked mm-hmm. deep with this about someone I said, yeah, there is this German thing, but we also have this thing that you need to understand. We we see sort of two major categories of relationships uh, when, and when we're exploring this expanded relationship model, and one is, you know, more to the typical relationship, what most people think is when you meet somebody, you really want to check them out. Is this somebody I want to spend a lot of time with and go deep with? And so if you see this person as a potential partner and not just a lover, you really want to spend time getting to know them and getting closer to them. But they say there's absolutely nothing wrong if you see somebody that you have a sexual attraction to, it's like, wow, I'm really attracted to you, but you don't see them as a potential partner. There's nothing wrong with going and having sex with them and just, you know, going, having a good role in the hay. And so mm-hmm. they actually distinguish between those two kind of relationships. And I even experienced it some. It was wonderful. You know, I'm almost 60 years old, you know, and I'm older. And yet even there, you know, some of the women were to kind of flirting with me, not flirting like, oh, I want to have sex with you, but like, wow, you're, you look really cool, and there's a nice little attraction energy here. And it was just wonderful to feel that much more than I feel it even in my own communities back home here. There just seemed to be a lot less hmm. fear around sex. Mm-hmm. And uh, another piece about it is Tamara is um, – They they have dozens of people that want to become members, so they could actually grow much more. But they're having problems getting building permits, you know, it's problems with the government. And so right now they're not allowing new members, but they allow people sometimes to stay a few months during the summer. But um, all these people want to become a part. So it really is a thriving community. And they're doing all sorts of great work around the world, um, helping um, to resolve conflict in, uh, for instance, Palestine and Israel. Uh, In Colombia, they go to all these places that they're having serious problems and they're working with the indigenous leaders there to try to help them resolve conflict. They're also very much into environmentalism and uh, sustainability and they're actually a model community known around the world for their work in sustainability. So it really is an amazing, uh, thriving place there up in the mountains of Portugal.
0: Beautiful. I love to hear that. Now, are they the ones that have the love school?
1: Yes. Yeah, they had their first year. I know love they, school had, in the they had they had a couple of them year.
0: here in in northern California.
1: Yes, that's right.
0: Did you go to that? Yeah, they
1: have I did not go to the Love School a number of my friends did. I'm I'll be really honest when I went there because they were having a sacred activist gathering and I call myself a spiritual activist. I do a lot of work on the internet. Mm-hmm. If you do a a search on Fred Burks B U R K S, you'll see I do a lot of stuff. And so I wanted to see what they're doing with sacred activism. And they brought together great, fascinating people from all over the world, Brazil, uh, Colombia, uh, Israel, Palestine, uh, India, all over Peru, all over the place, and really fascinating people. And yet I was not that impressed with the program they put on. It was a 10-day program. And people I talked to who did the Love School, they said there were some really good things, but – I guess my my personal interpretation is, is, again, it feels a bit German, where it's like, you know, let's do this, and then we're going to do that, and it's whereas I tend to be more Californian, almost woo-woo, let's flow, be with the flow and the energy and see where it goes, but having structure, but also allowing room for fluidity. And so I, I was not impressed with the workshop and the way it was run, even though I had a great time there.
0: Mm-hmm. So, were you longing for more connection in the workshop? Why did why were you not impressed with it?
1: Uh, well, basically, so and realize now this workshop was not at all about sexuality. The, many of these leaders right, did the not come that paradigm at all. Yes. Right. So the thing that didn't work. So there, there, it was like over a hundred people were here for this gathering. And they split us up into three groups. And because I'm I'm active and somewhat known in this field, they put me in the group with all the top leaders, which is 40 people. And we met for 10 days. We met, you know, I don't know, five, six hours every day. And yet almost the whole time we sat in a group of 40 and just took turns, one person talk and then another talk. We hardly ever broke up into small groups and had a chance to really get to know each other. And as you know, in a large Mm -hmm. group like that, some people are going to talk much more than others, which certainly happened And some people you hardly heard from at all. So Mm -hmm. just sitting there in a circle for so many hours with just one person talking at a time was very hard for me. I would have to say that some of the people there loved it, but I know there was a number of others like me. It's like, now, wait a minute. Why aren't we getting together and really getting to know each other and networking and and all that kind of stuff? So, you know, there was some good stuff that happened. Yeah.
0: Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, that's what I thought is that maybe you weren't feeling, um, like you're getting your needs met around your networking and connecting and getting to know people. You traveled across the world to be with all these people, and if there wasn't enough time to really dive in with them, even if it's around non-sexual matters, I could see how that would feel unsatisfying
1: yeah yeah, it was a bit frustrating. And I managed to make some great connections during meal times and afterwards. And really, there were some stellar people there, and uh, definitely will be continuing my connection with uh, several of them.
0: Cool. Um, well, Fred, I would like to ask you a little bit more about your work as a spiritual activist because it's very fascinating. Um, one of the things mm-hmm. that I appreciate about you and I've seen your online presence, is how you share a lot of the shadow stuff that's going on in the world with governments and oppression, um, but somehow you balance that out with um, uh, the way that you. Can you just talk about how you how you hold that as that this is our shadow, and you ha- and you also offer so much positive stuff for people so that they don't get down and get swallowed up in the darkness. Can you talk a little bit about how you do that?
1: Sure. Yeah, that's you know one of my greatest passions um so as i mentioned i call myself a spiritual activist but another name that i call myself is a shadow dancer and what i mean Mm. by that is you know the shadow you could say is the hidden part the the unconscious parts that many people tend to stuff and want to put away let's just focus on the positive well in my life i have found that by shining a loving light into the shadows i learn and grow tremendously so basically i welcome the shadow parts as a teacher And even fear and anger can be powerful teachers if I choose to let them be. And so I've ended up doing a lot of activism, and I do call it spiritual activism, helping people to recognize their own inner shadows, but also to look at the shadows out in the world that many people are afraid to look at. And so I actually ended Mm -hmm. up um, setting up a, a 501c3 nonprofit organization back in 2006 that's called PEERS, which now has about 12 websites that deal with various aspects of this shadow dancing and uh, cultivating community and transformation. And for those who are interested, it's www.peerservice.org, P-E-E-R-S-E-R-V-I-C-E dot O-R-G. That's the home website for all the work that I do. And you can read about the various websites, and particularly the most popular website a few of the listeners may know about is called wanttoknow.info. And once it or info really specializes in revealing critical information about important cover-ups of which few people are aware, and we use the most reliable, verifiable sources, uh, particularly from major media news articles and government documents, showing people that there's all this stuff going on that people don't even know, and if you knew about it, uh, you might be living your life slightly differently. You might get your money out of all the major banks and put them into um, credit unions and things like that, and. There's just a bunch of things you can do in your life to be healthier. For instance, stop eating GMOs. A lot of people know that. But if you knew how much the dangers of GMOs are being covered up, you would be shocked. And you can find that on this website, wanttoknow.info. So I love helping people to get comfortable with the shadow, to learn about it, and then become shadow dancers so that you can enjoy all parts of life and you don't have to suppress any parts.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, some of that stuff on there is pretty dark and pretty unbelievable. I always wondered, like, and I know, and I trust. I know you, so I trust you. If it wasn't you doing that website, I would think that it was a bunch of cookie conspiracies. But you have pretty solid sources, huh?
1: Well, yeah. If you go and look at WantToKnow.info, is the one that really goes into the global shadow. You'll see there; it's all of the links. Um, for instance, it says right on the home page. Um, Did you know that 20 leading journalists, including winners of several Emmys and a Pulitzer, have described being prevented by corporate media ownership from reporting riveting stories on major cover-ups? So these are Emmy and Pulitzer Prize-winning journalists that you can go check personally that are telling you how their big stories were shut down. We have government documents that show how – the Pentagon generals once approved plans to foment terrorism and kill innocent civilians in major U S cities um, to you know, start a war against Cuba. We have the re- declassified government documents. You can click on the link tells you exactly how to see the government, the documents on a government website that the top Pentagon generals were going to foment terrorism in U S cities and blame it on the Cubans. Mm-hmm. There's a, a CBS news article, and we have a link to the article that shows how The Pentagon cannot um, account for over $2 trillion in transactions. And again, it's CBS News. So it's not conspiracy stuff. In fact, I avoid the word conspiracy because people have a knee-jerk reaction to that. I call it major Mm cover-ups and corruption. But if you look Mm -hmm. on the website, it's all totally solid sources that you can go verify yourself. In fact, we we have at the top – we. We call it the it's want to know that info. And on the right side, it says reliable, verifiable information on major cover ups and a call to work together for the good of all.
0: Right. And so how do you overcome that feeling of just wanting to give up because there's just so much bad in the world? How do you manage that?
1: Well, you have to understand that I'm I'm an eternal optimist from the time I was a kid. And um, I I know some of the deepest, darkest stuff that would turn your stomach. And yet I'm totally optimistic because I know that in our core, we are all amazing beings. I know that we're born into this world, beautiful, shining lights. And it's because of all the stuff that gets laid on us, even when we're young kids, that we become twisted and, and messed up. And if we can somehow remove all those layers that got put onto us and let that original divine light shine through, every one of us is an amazing being. And when we really start moving from that place of recognizing that even the wounded people out there who are doing terrible things are in their core amazing people and we can support that, then amazing things happen. So I am incredibly optimistic about our future despite knowing some of the really crazy stuff going
0: on. Yeah, and I, I believe that as it gets crazier and crazier out there politically in today's era, um, the more the other side rises up to balance it, um, the more mm-hmm. people wake up and, and see what's going on and take action. So I, I think it's actually a bottoming out process right now, which I know as a person sure. in recovery that the bottom is a really sacred place because that's the turning point. And you just rise up from yep. there. Mm-hmm. And so your your website personalgrowthcourses.net is that what you offer to people to help them not get stuck in that dark place?
1: Uh, well, yeah. We so basically one of the things we've done with this nonprofit is we developed four online courses, um, and you can find them all listed at personalgrowthcourses.net, or just do a search on personal growth courses. And there's four different courses. So there's one for people who really just want to focus on inspiring material, and it's called the Inspiration Course. And it's filled with some of the most inspiring stuff that you'll ever find. It's really amazing videos and quotes and some great cartoons. And there's another one called the Hidden Knowledge Course, which is for people who want to focus on the shadow side. Like, I, I, I don't need inspiration. I just want to look at the shadow stuff and understand how it works. And always we present the shadow with the, the reason we do this is to help us transform. It's not to scare people. It's not to just give them education and, and leave them like that. We want to give people inspiration that we can do something to, with this and make a difference. And then the other two courses mm-hmm. I call, it's a dance of shadow and light where the, the it's a mixture of the shadow material and really inspiring material and, and we've had amazing, amazing comments. If you go look at some of them, uh, like our most popular course is called The Transformation Course. And you can just do a search on it and find it. The Transformation Course, people have had their lives changed. Literally three people have said, you saved my life and told me exactly how. And in one case, we helped to save someone's child's life because um, they cleaned up this child's The child was having seizures and all sorts of problems and it was not looking good at all. And through reading our lesson on health, they cleaned up the diet, took out aspartame, which a lot of people don't know is a poison. They took out the GMOs. And their child, in, in a matter of a few days, was completely better. And they were just absolutely stunned. And they now give us 40 to $5 a month as you know a way of thanking us, a donation, because we helped to completely heal their child. So it's, it's a privilege and to that, do this work and help that, people open to it.
0: And that's the trans- Transformation Course?
1: Yeah, the the transformation course, and it's, it's the URL is transformationteam.net. But mm-hmm. I want to mention also that you know I, I am I keep the sexuality work very separate from that nonprofit because the nonprofit is not about sexuality, even though there's a great lesson in right. the courses about sacred sexuality. But I have a separate website that's my own personal website at um, sextalk.guru. Um, mm-hmm. So it's, if you go to Guru, the, the title is Let's Talk Sex, and it's about taking sex out of the closet. And it has some great stuff on, um, for instance, a really excellent article on the sexual-spiritual split. A lot of people hear sacred sexuality. How can sexuality be sacred? They don't, can't even imagine blending the two. And so this is a great essay that reveals how powerful it is when we realize that sexuality can be a sacred experience has some great articles on uh, one of the most popular ones, like does penis size matter? And, you know, of mm-hmm. course size matter, it starts out saying, but uh, it probably matters a lot less than most people think. We have uh, mm-hmm. an article on how to learn control for extended pleasure, particularly for men, and um, some about the power of orgasm. You know, a lot of people don't realize that if you think about what's the most powerful physical pleasure that you have in your lifetime, for most people it's orgasm. And think about that. Orgasm is the most powerful physical pleasure, and yet we have so much craziness around it. You know, people do mm-hmm. crazy things like rape and even murder to, to get orgasms. You know, and mm-hmm. yet if we understand and honor the, the power of orgasm, everything can change. So there's a whole great article on that. I, I invite uh, you and the listeners, if you get a chance, to take a look at some of the great articles on SexTalk.Guru.
0: Awesome. Well, you are a busy man. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes, I do keep myself very busy, especially, you know, I'm, I am a, a leader in several communities, and that's mostly volunteer. So I've got that, I've got whole, all the websites, that's my profession, and my personal relationships, so it keeps me busy.
0: Mm-hmm. And so your websites, are they all by donation, or do you also have clients, or how does that work?
1: Um, I, because it's a nonprofit and I'm the executive director, I get paid $50,000 a year and it's all through donations. Uh, 90% of our income, Mm -hmm. I should say, is from donations. People love the work and I've always known if it's high quality, people will donate and thankfully they have. So that pays my salary and pays for the expenses and pays for a couple other people that help out. Um, but everything we offer is free. I like. I believe that we can create a new paradigm this planet, which is more based on a gift economy than the old competitive, capitalistic spirit. So the more we mm-hmm. can gift things, the more people will be generous with us, and that has worked out. And I do occasionally do sessions, but I'm not looking for them because I'm so busy. Actually, friends call me and mm-hmm. say, "Hey, will you consult? I'm, I've got a consultation going up next week with a few <laughs> mutual friends of ours." And um, and I do, you know, ask for payment for that because um, occasionally if they're really close friends, I'll do it free. But uh, just because I keep myself busy and I, I'm not looking for a lot of clients, actually.
0: Right. So if what you're offering is valuable to people and it changes their life, then they're moved to donate um, to to pay it forward, so to speak. So I do love that Absolutely. model. It's a beautiful model, trusting that. Um, we're offering something valuable as opposed to trying to sell somebody on something before they receive the service, before they even know if it's valuable. And that just takes a lot of trust. So I really admire you for um, role modeling that for everyone.
1: Thank you. And I I have to acknowledge that I had to volunteer major hours, like over 40 hours a week for seven years before I eventually started earning income. You know, I started these websites in 2003 and it wasn't like, 2010 that I actually started getting paid something but I knew eventually it would work and it did and people have been very generous we've had now six people that have given over ten thousand dollars and we've you know a lot of them are the the ones the big donors are the ones who've done the course and just had their lives really transformed by one of the courses and they tend to be very generous but the courses are free 50 percent of the people don't give anything and I'm okay with that But 50% of people do give something, and the average donation is about $200. So that's that's very helpful.
0: Wow, so I just have to get this. So for seven years, you worked on your website without getting paid, and you just knew, you just believed so strongly in your heart that it was the right thing to do. You just kept going until you knew that it would eventually come back to you?
1: I knew it was my life's calling. As soon as I... So you have to understand, I didn't know anything about these major cover-ups. I knew, of course, that there's cover-ups and corruption in our world, but I had no idea of the level. And I had a big awakening in 2001 when a friend sent me a video that absolutely proved to me that the world's not what I thought it was. I was like, oh, so this Mm -hmm. is my mission. I have to get this information out there. And so at the time, I had um, like $200,000 put away towards retirement because I had never gotten a retirement. I've always been a contractor or something like that. So um, basically when I got my life's calling, I said, okay, I'm going to become my own benefactor and I'm going to give myself a grant of $200,000 to do this work that I know needs to be done. So I, I quit. I was actually working as a language interpreter at the state department and actually interpreted the white house with a couple of the presidents. It was another little piece of my life. And um, mm-hmm. I was also working as a nurse part time as in the state department, I was a contractor part- time, and then I worked as a nurse part time. So I quit both of those jobs and focused full time on the websites and was making very little income for seven years and drawing down on the savings. But eventually it reversed, and now the savings are building back up. so it's i I feel very blessed in my life and very uh, fortunate that I've been able to follow my passion really help people in tremendous ways and actually get paid for it.
0: Yeah, well, congratulations. I know that must have entailed a lot of sacrifices and also just kind of rewiring how you live your life so that you're focused on the things that really generate value as opposed to, oh, I'm just going to go buy this thing for a temporary pleasure, right? Like you've learned to value friendships and connections and things that don't cost money, right?
1: Absolutely. In fact, what's really helped me is that I've been very clear since a very young age, probably around 19 or 20. I got really clear that my greatest priority in life is to live in service to all beings. And that doesn't mean sacrificing myself. If I don't take care of myself, then I can't help others. So living fully in service to what I call the greatest good of all beings is my guiding light and it is what has led me to the White House interpreting. It's led me to this work. It's led me to incredible sexual connections and being a Tantra teacher and all that. So I do credit my unwavering commitment to living in service with the amazing blessings in my
0: life. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Thank you so much for the work that you do, Fred. Um mm-hmm. so before we before we start to wrap up, we have a few more minutes. Um, is there anything else you want to add about your experiences with expanded relationship uh, the, any any cool experiences you want to share
1: <laughs> oh i yeah there's so so many joyful things that can happen you know when it really works, it is so beautiful we I love you yeah, there's times in our communities when so a couple is really having problems and they're kind of falling apart, but the whole community is there to support them. And, and really it's amazing the transformations that can happen. Um, there's a, uh, a, a couple that I, I really love and, uh, the woman and I always had this attraction, but they were already a couple when we met and, and I was friends with, uh, I was, had been friends already with the, the man in the couple. And, um, he was a little bit threatened by me because, you know, I have a big energy and stuff. And so he asked me not to get involved with her and I was okay with that. Um, but then there, cause when I met them, they had, they weren't married yet. They'd only been together maybe a year or so, but then once their relationship got solid, they're both very polyamorous and comfortable with that. After a few years, he said, you know, Fred, I'm really comfortable now. And if you want to start playing with her, um, go ahead. And I'm I'm cutting a long story short, but it was really beautiful. So we started connecting and there was one day we were up at a dance camp. I remember it was so beautiful. Um, And he, um, basically he, I ran into him while going to breakfast and he said, um, oh Fred, you know what I'm doing? I'm going to get, um, his sweetie, I don't want to say her name because it's confidential, but um, to get her breakfast in bed. She loves when I do that, but why don't you do it? Surprise her and bring in this, this uh, breakfast bring her breakfast in bed and I'll just go find somebody and have some fun. And it was just so cool that, you know, he was so comfortable that I could go and surprise her and just have this great time with her. Well, he just went mm-hmm. off and, and took care of himself. And yet another time he said, you know, Hey, Fred, I need you back off now because she and I were leading a workshop together and he wasn't involved. And he said, you've been spending a lot of t- time together and I just need more time with her. I was like, totally cool. And, you know, and so this was, again, it was one of those dance camps. And, but after a few days, he came back, hey, Fred, I'm doing good now. Go ahead and start connecting again. <laughs> so when it really works, when it really works, it is so beautiful and it is such a gift. Um, so uh, and it's not easy. Uh, to the, the, the Tamara, all the people there said, said, what's the best thing about Tamara? Over half the people said, I love the open relationship style. They said, it's a lot of work. It's really hard and it's totally worth it. So my advice is Mm. be prepared. You know, it's hard work, but if you are committed to openness, transparency, and coming from your heart, it can be a wonderful way of living. And it's not for everybody.
0: Mm. Yeah. Well, that's a beautiful summation. Thank you so much, Fred. Um, We just have a couple more minutes, and you talked about your websites already, but if there's anything that you want to repeat about how people can find you, and I believe you also have an offer for our listeners.
1: Um, Sure. I I guess the, the main thing, um, if if people want to just do one thing that I would recommend um, the online lesson that we have on sacred sexuality is really great. And I think you'd really enjoy it. If you just do a search on sacred sexuality course, it should show up first and it's part of the insight course. And it's got some beautiful uh, stories, videos, and and different things about sacred sexuality that um, I think is really wonderful. So that's, you consider a a, a real gift. And the other thing is to really um, explore around the website that I mentioned about Let's Talk Sex, and the URL is sextalk.guru, and you'll find some really wonderful material there that can uh, inspire you and give you, um, almost everybody who's read these says, oh, I hadn't thought about that, and it gives you just new things to, think about, to incorporate into your life. Mm
0: -hmm. Well, thank you. I hope our listeners will take advantage of that. And if they find value in it, please donate to Fred's amazing work in the world. So thank you again, Fred, for being on the show. It was delightful getting to know you better. And thank you for all the gifts that you offer to our world. And I wish you continued success.
1: Thank you, Sumatine. I really appreciate the interview. I love it. your your questions and drawing me out and uh we didn't get a chance to talk about you as much but uh it was great to be on the show and thanks to all of our listeners too
0: okay fred all right we'll see you soon bye-bye
1: all right bye-bye